0: Log Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 572nd edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you an American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. Get your daily reading from each other the writers over at Rebel News Network. But as always, please, this show will always be dedicated to American soccer, the entire game in our country. Chat room is open. Come on in. Discuss amongst yourselves if you like If you have a question, try to answer it to the best of my abilities. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've got some fun times coming our way uh, when it comes to the summers of soccer that will be landing here in the United States of America. And what I mean by that is the multiple tournaments that will be hosted here in the United States. Now, obviously, the CONCACAF Gold Cup will always be held in the US no matter what, unless there is a change and we might have one day, maybe Canada will host the entire tournament, maybe one day it'll go back to Mexico, the entire tournament, or if we do get better stadiums constructed all up and down Central America and the Caribbean one day, hopefully there will be a rotation of the CONCACAF Gold Cup. But for now, all Gold Cup tournaments will be held in the United States unless there is a change in the placement of who will host these Gold Cup tournaments. As we already know, in 2026, the FIFA World Cup will be here as well as being shared by our fellow North Zone Partners in Mexico and Canada and of course of course there is also the possibility of a women's World Cup that could be coming here in the United States and also the possibility of hosting or actually I believe they already got the hosting rights in Los Angeles for the 2028 Summer Olympic Games. But the big, big moment that we have all been waiting for, the big, big moment, the big rumor that was going around, finally became reality before this weekend came around. And that is, my friends, the 2024 Coney Bowl Copa america will now be played here in the united states as ecuador gave up the hosting rights due to uh some form of a uh safety issue within the country and that means for the us not only are we hosting it but playing in it and our neighbors in Mexico and I believe also Canada will be involved as well and that is great news for our American players for 2024. Why? Because that means even though as the host nations we will not be involved in World Cup qualifying, it means that for the summer of 2024 meaningful games will be played for our players and it will not be glorified friendlies all over the place it will be a 16-team tournament involving all 10 south american sides and six Concacaf sides the united states and mexico already involved and that also means that four guest teams will be qualifying because the CONCACAF Nations League, not only will it determine which teams will be advancing to the Gold Cup and the the, uh, the, the qualification games before the Gold Cup, but now... Now, four of the six sides will qualify through the Nations League in the 2023-24 edition, which means expect this September and October and next year March to have those games probably from League A to not only triple for the group winners to qualify for the Gold Cup, qualify for the Nations League semifinals and final tournament games, but also qualify for the 2024 Conmebol Copa America, which will be here in the United States on a brand new venture and a brand new partnership between CONCACAF and Bowl. And you know what? I'm glad that we finally got something good going on here because I'll tell you this right now, folks. This is a strong partnership now under Victor Montagliani, who has done, in my opinion, a better job than both what Jack Warner and Jeffrey Webb has done. Because both men, unfortunately, using deceit and corruption to get what they want for themselves. And even though they tried to do something good for themselves and for football in this region, the truth of the matter is the bad outweighed the good. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Victor Montagliani has brought stability. And he has also brought better recognition for CONCACAF. We are still a long ways away for this confederation to be considered healthy competition-wise. I think it's healthier in a governance, but competition-wise, we're not there yet. And that is because of the amount of national teams in the Caribbean zone that I feel that have not done enough to break through, but at the same time, it's really difficult to really put it out there what's been going on. And I give credit to the majority of the Caribbean nations, the Caribbean football associations up and down the Union, that they're trying to get more done. But unfortunately, we have to agree and admit that there are certain things that are absolutely out of their control. And while the Nations League does assist with some of the tournament issues that these national teams have been having, the truth of the matter is this. More needs to be done. And I'm not saying this because I want to rain on their parades. I'm not just saying this because I want to you know, throw shade at them. That's not what I'm here for they would probably come to you and say to you, you're right, we have to do more. But once again, it's all about the facilities and the level of stadiums that has to make this situation better. I don't think you'll ever see a Red Bull Arena or a uh, now a BMO stadium in downtown Los Angeles instead of the Bank of California stadium, or a BMO field in Toronto, or even Explorer Stadium in Orlando, that could justify, you would say, the land that it would need to build new stadiums in these smaller islands in the Caribbean. That's just a fact. But if they can get improved play from players who are doing better, you know, not just domestically, where they are internationally, especially, well, within the CONCACAF region, like maybe in MLS or obviously um, playing abroad in Europe, if most of them get that opportunity, I think that'd be an excellent thing. But we'll see what happens there. But outside of that, outside of that, ladies and gentlemen. What it means for our American players is that we are going to have competitions consecutively on our soil for the next, and starting with this summer, of course, with the Gold Cup this summer, all the way into 2028, depending on if the U.S. Women's World Cup will come in 2027 here in the States because that is the biggest question mark we have right now when it comes to this. But consecutive tournaments within our own confederation, sharing it with a brother confederation, the World Cup coming, and over and over again, Gold Cups. It is absolutely wonderful to see people coming over to our nation to give their tourism dollars for all the restaurants, all the bars, the hotels, the stadiums to help with the economic issues we're currently having here with the inflation. But once again, This goes to show you why the United States of America is an attractive country to have these tournaments being held, and at the same time, these European clubs coming over here for preseason games, playing against MLS clubs, USL clubs, and playing against each other in the ICCs and all those other fun stuff. This is why coming to the United States helps everybody around the game. And at the same time, it helps our players play at their top level. It's not so much about the group stage because usually you're going to play against a weaker opponent within within the confederation. But when you get to the knockout stage, the competition gets stronger and better until you get to the final where you will probably face Mexico once again for Gold Cup glory. But this is going to be the best of the best. For our American players. Once again. No qualification to the World Cup. As we are one of the three hosts. For 2026. And our players. Are getting the opportunities. Right now. In many many years. And we are getting multiple tournaments. Each and every summer now. Until the next time. There might be a Copa America back on U S soil or the World Cup, which will probably take a longer time that again. But make no mistake, my friends. Make no mistake. This is a wonderful thing to happen. This is a wonderful moment for our for the game in this country. And I really, really believe this brand new partnership with CONMEBOL and CONCACAF will strengthen the relationship in the Americas between our confederation and the South American confederation. And hopefully, who knows? I don't know if it's going to mean a... A true bonding or a merger with the Americas as one gigantic confederation. I I don't know if that will ever happen. I don't know if there will be uh, a definite of a a positive merger. That means World Cup qualifying will be joined in up and down the Americas. I I personally don't see that happening. I, I don't think it will happen. But I'm glad to say I'm glad that we are having ourselves a true moment a true moment for our confederation and for CONCACAF to go out have this partnership and we'll talk more about it somewhere down the road and all I can say is folks all I want all, all I care for is that the game is better and healthier in the United States and that one day They can win that little golden trophy. And hopefully in about three and a half years' time, it will happen in 2026. I've got a great show for you tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Joining me as always, my colleague Carter Krishnire from World Soccer Talk, as we are going to talk about the current deletions of personnel in the front office of U.S. Soccer. But before we even get to that, please subscribe The Crowder Krishnire's brand new Beyond the 90 website on Substack.com, as uh, him and many others, will give you great articles and updates what goes on in the game, not only just in Europe,
1: but everywhere else around the world. And Kardec, just
0: please talk about Beyond the 90 before we get underway.
1: Yeah, thank you, Daniel. So Beyond the 90 is a website we launched right after the end of the World Cup, uh, uh, myself and, and, and four other writers. Uh, where we're covering uh, so far it's just Europe and the U S right. We've covered um, uh, the Premier League and Bundesliga and, and, and Liga and, and then uh, MLS USL, uh, but want to do everything. Uh, and, and it's a, uh, it's a sub stack newsletter. So you get the, uh, the, e- the email directly into your inbox. You can also go to the site and read it like a traditional blog. And we're doing some cool things with podcasts and video uh, stuff on there. And uh, would love for you to subscribe. They're paid subscriptions, they're free subscriptions. Uh, get, in, get in touch with me uh, if, if you want to subscribe. And also, we're going to launch the Florida Soccer Report since I'm in Florida. Uh, this will be a look at NPSL, UPSL, uh, Golf Course, Coast League, right? All these uh, kind of regional amateur leagues we have in the state. So, uh, yeah, on one hand, you'll be reading about the Premier League and, and, uh, and Bundesliga and MLS, you know, the big leagues. And then at the same time, you're going to be reading about some NPSL. So that's kind of cool. And, oh, and one last thing, have a weekly newsletter about the football league in, the UK, in, in England, which is, of course, the lower divisions, right? They're USL. Uh, we actually same names as USL Championship League, one league, two. So uh, we're doing a, a weekly newsletter on that league. So a lot of cool stuff we're doing over there.
0: Absolutely. And uh, don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, as you said, as Cardick said, go ahead and subscribe. Um, I've so far have subscribed myself, and I got to say, everything I've read, Cardick, it's been spot on, and as always, you've always done a top-notch job covering the game, whether it be in England or or here in the U.S., and uh, Like I said, it's been excellent, and I've enjoyed every single uh, email I've received from my subscription from Beyond the 90s. So go ahead, everybody, if you want, add more uh, subscription-based writing from uh, independent soccer uh, coverage, of course. Carter Krishnar is always going to be one of those people uh, that you need to listen to as well as his time at World Soccer Talk. And don't forget that uh, World Soccer Talk podcast with him and the gaffer Christopher Harris. Um, So go ahead, Carter. We're going to get into this right now. Uh, Brian McBride no longer with U.S. Soccer as general manager of the men's national team. Ernie Stewart is um, also leaving to go and uh, be a part of the front office with the PSV Eindhoven because his family uh is Dutch and they uh, they're currently living in the Netherlands at this point in time but with both McBride and Ernie Stewart leaving US soccer what does that mean for the for, you know for the federation and and what do you think they've done so far um in the 4 plus years being a part of the federation, what do you think they've done right? What do you think they've done wrong? But do you think there's also any other hidden meanings behind all of this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, a World Cup cycle is kind of exhausting, and the toxicity of the U.S. fan base is is like nothing I've ever seen, right? I mean, even uh, the fans of the biggest clubs in the world, the Real Madrid's and the Manchester United's and the Bayern's, they're not quite... It's not quite as toxic. It's not quite as difficult to be an executive and, and get the abuse you're getting. So I, I think that that's the case for Ernie Stewart and Brian McBride. Um, nothing they, no, no decision they made um, uh, was seen by the fan base who have kind of a diluted level of expectation around the program to be correct. That having been said, they also hired Greg Verhalter in a process this is not Brian McBride, sorry, so this is Ernie Stewart, uh, hired um, Greg Berhalter in a process that was extremely flawed and where um, there was a process designed to yield a single result, which was the hiring of Greg Berhalter. So uh, Stewart has had to deal with that sort of, um, the fallout from that for four years. And um, I, I think... You you know, it's funny, Daniel. you were on our space earlier when we were talking about transfer deadline day um, in the Premier League, and two of the managers we talked about are Jesse Marsh and Julian Julian Lopetegui um, at Wolves. These are two managers. Marsh is, of course, American. Lopetegui is not. But these are two managers who would have liked to have been interviewed by the U.S. Soccer Federation, were not interviewed, and are now managing in the Premier League. They weren't interviewed because there was a – Theta complete, right? Verhalter was getting the job. So that, that very much falls um, on Ernie Stewart's doorstep. Uh, I think there was a comfort with Verhalter also because of the Dutch football connection. Um, but I do think in terms of progress in the program, to me there is no question that the program has evolved. You have seen kind of better talent identification. You have seen good recruitment in terms of, now this might be Verhalter more than, than Stewart and McBride, but uh, actually actively trying to recruit dual nationals when they 're 17 or 18 rather than when they 're 21, and we realize, oh, you know this guy might be good he 's playing at the club level. Um, so there 's been that. I think there 's also been um, an upgrade in kind of quality of friendly opposition, and where you play friendly than when you play friendly. I mean this is something actually you, your improved also, but it 's more difficult now because of the UEFA Nations League it's difficult to get matches with European competition because they have their own, they have another competition. And we also lose dates because of the CONCACAF nation's So I think those are positives. Obviously we've gone through the negatives as well. Does Stewart leave the program in a better place than he inherited it? Yes. However, and maybe this is going to be your next question, Daniel, is the U.S. Soccer Federation itself in a better place than where uh, it was when Stewart came into the job, that I am not quite so sure about. And I agree
0: with you there. Um, Look, I I think if, if you think about, I would say, you know, finding dual nationals and getting them to be American players, I think they've done a great job with that. If you're talking about Well, you know, with Greg, you know, hiring Greg Berhalter and for him to get victories, big time victories over Mexico by defeating them in the the inaugural Nations League final, then beating them in the Gold Cup, beating them at home in World Cup qualifying uh, for Qatar, should have beaten them down at the Azteca, but unfortunately got a scoreless draw out of it, which I still feel is a, you know, look, you're on the road and that's a, to me, that's still a great result at the Azteca no matter what. But I think if you look at it with the overall and the continued problems within the Federation board-level-wise, I still say it's glass half-full. Or if you want to say glass half-empty, either way, you're correct.
1: Yeah, so it depends on your perspective. Look, I mean, I've got very realistic uh, expectations around the U.S. program. I mean, I, 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 have a, I, I was not in favor of Greg Verholtz hiring. I've said that over and over again on this show. Uh, I didn't necessarily like the way e, Ernie Stewart, and, uh, uh, and I, if you want to include Dan Flynn and Jay Verholtz in this over at the Federation in terms of uh, the executives, I didn't like the way they conducted the, uh, the, the coaching search or the non-search, right? It was a sham. It was a farce. But at the same time, I have a realistic expectation around the program. I've been through you and I, Daniel, have been through every uh, World Cup cycle since 1990. Right? We we know we know our level. We've seen American players in MLS and in USL and in in, in the different European leagues. We know where we're at. Okay. So this idea that somehow the US had some golden generation and if you got the right coach, you were going to just you know march right through the World Cup and and, and win a World Cup was after not qualifying for the previous World Cup. uh, It it, it, is insane. Is absolutely insane. So um, I think that, that Burhalter revolved the program, and I think that he, he did he, he did some nice things with players, right? I, I think we, we I, it was look the result ultimately was the same, and this is a results oriented business. And the U.S. went out in the in the round of sixteen uh, just like we did in 2010, just like we did in 2014. But the way the United States approached the games in this World Cup, the way we played football, right, on the front foot, the way we were able to control large portions of the game was very different than what we've seen in the past. And sometimes the results don't come right away. If you're evolving a national psyche and a playing style, sometimes you have to go through these, these rough moments. And I think you know, we have right now um, – A good set of players, but I don't think we have a great set of players. We don't have the level of players that everyone thinks we do. I know people get very angry every time I mention this, but I think the best American player right now is a 35-year-old at Fulham, not one of these 20- or 21-year-olds we keep hearing about. So, um, now, I know it's a moment in time, and obviously, Timmy Reams, 35, and and, and he's not going to be at this level much longer. But right now, I think he's our best player. So, uh, I keep hearing about this 20-year-old and this 21-year-old and how they're all world-class. Yeah, we have a really good core of uh, young players, but again, um, I don't think we're at the level a lot of our fans think we're at. So, uh, and when I say Timmy Reeves our best player, I'm basing it on his play in, in the Premier League. I'll admit that that you know he hasn't played enough games for the U.S. and that's Halters fault, right? That he wasn't calling him in, but he hasn't played as many games for the U.S. as as, as some of these younger players that that everybody. Uh, is raving about, but um, I think we're in a position where um, you've got what three and a half years. This is a shorter cycle because of when the World Cup was. And Cindy Cohn, Cindy Parlow Cohn, the president says, "Okay, we're going to try and make a decision by the summer." So you've effectively got three years. You got a year until a, a, a um, Copa America tournament. Um, that's important. Uh, Also, to your point, Daniel, sorry. um, Beat Mexico twice in two finals, which is not something the U.S. has done in a long time, right? We had not beaten Mexico in a final since 2007. Am I correct in saying that? Because obviously 13, we won the Gold Cup, but it was a B Gold Cup where we played a, a, yep. a Panama team. It was a, a bunch of B teams. Mm-hmm. Mexico sent a team where yep. I think the most-capped player Mexico sent to that Gold Cup had 11 caps coming into the Gold Cup. We had lost to them in the final in 2011. Um, 2015, we had lost to them in the Conca Cap Cup, uh, the, the infamous game where Jurgen Klinsmann was trying to hold the substitution so that he could bring Nick Ramondo on for penalties, and then uh, chose to blame Fabian Johnson for the loss because um, – you know how dare Fabian Johnson pull up lame after 110 minutes in in in, in humid conditions right out there? So exactly, Right, um, yeah, I mean, this is the thing: people people who who, who glorify Quinsman now in hindsight forget these sorts of things when he would play uh, throw players like Fabian Johnson under the bus. But so we beat Mexico in two finals, so that speaks pretty highly of what Stewart and Verhalter did. Now, is it vintage Mexico? No, it's maybe Canada the stronger. Opposition Canada, who we didn't beat, uh, we beat them in the Nations League, right? But we didn't beat them in uh, in, in, in World Cup qualifying, a draw and a loss. Or is that maybe the, 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 the tougher test now? Maybe, but still, we beat Mexico in two finals, and that's something that uh, we haven't done in a long, long time. Uh, two thousand seven, and then before that, I want to say the last win against Mexico in a final would have been probably in ninety one. <laughs> um, so it's very rare we beat Mexico in finals. You know we beat them in in friendlies, we beat them in qualifiers, we beat them in a World Cup, but we don't beat them in finals in the Concacaf region. And we suddenly beat them twice.
0: Exactly, and that's the whole situation right there in a nutshell. I mean, we should. I mean, look, I give Greg Verhalter credit where credit is due, but you know when he's done something wrong. You know, you've got to highlight it because, you know, it's horrible and it's terrible. And, you know, even his inconsistencies with, you know, with his rosters and the starting 11s have been terrible. Then he needs halftime just to fix it up. Or when he's gotten something spot on in his starting 11s, then his substitution patterns have been absolutely pathetic in the second halves. But that'll be for another time later, and uh, we'll see what happens with the head coaching position. And, of course, the final findings of the uh, Investigation. We'll get to that in just a little bit later on, but Cardick, I mean, you you would know more about positions in working FAs, especially the English FA, because you know you've been following English football for a very very long time. And my question to you is this: Is there a general manager? and a sporting director position in the English FA or any of these European FAs across that continent and if not why is it so important to have it with US soccer where i mean i mean what do you need a general manager for sporting director i can understand to help out with the scouting of who no, to bring it in to camp or whatever but here. but it
1: yeah yeah, they don't have these positions, if that's what you're asking. No, I, it's, it's, I, I kind of find it kind of strange. That, and we didn't have them either, actually, until now. They were established. We didn't have a general manager of the men's and women's. Kate McGrath is doing the job, by the way, on the uh, um, on the women's side. And I'm a big fan of hers. But um, there's a lot of challenges on the women's side. Maybe that's for another uh, – we've, we've got a World Cup this summer, so we'll, we'll have plenty of shows to talk about that. But um, – yeah, other countries don't generally do this. They'll have – although I think Germany has always had a general manager for the men's and women's side. And that might be where, um, the, uh, where Seward got it from. Because I think Ernie Seward put this idea in place. And then he hired um, McBride and McGrath, um, so, two you know, former decorated players. Um, but it's not so, – it is kind of a little odd. Because you, you obviously, a technical director was a thing, and we've had technical directors uh, of, the, uh, of the U.S. Uh, actually, I want to see at some point, Claudio Reyna actually had the job, which uh, hasn't been talked about in the midst of all this excitement the last couple of weeks or last two months now, about the Reynas and the Berhalters. But, um, yeah, this general manager thing is quite odd, Daniel. It's funny, now that you mention it. It, 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 it is maybe it's something we don't need to continue. I, I don't
0: know. I agree. I mean, I, I don't think this is a situation where it needs to be continued. I, I really don't. I, I just feel like it's it's a waste of position. I mean, what's the point of creating a position that is normally meant for a club side, than it than it is for a national team side? This is the part where I, it really baffles the mind. Because then, you know, then what's the point of having uh, Cindy Parlow Cohn being the president of U.S. soccer, or at least just having that position as president of U.S. soccer to supposedly run things when all of a sudden is, okay, now you're getting a general manager for the men's team. And now you're getting a general manager for the women's team. And now you have a sporting director for the entire operation. And it's like, this is not a club side. This is a national team side. What is going on here? I mean, I, I don't understand why even entertain the thought. And I'm not saying this is against Brian McBride or Kate Margraff. Whatever they did, I, I'm happy they were able to have some position in U.S. soccer to handle whatever had to be handled. But the truth of the matter is, I, I, I mean, what are they doing? I mean, are they just standing there going to the games in the, in the luxury box, standing there looking important? I mean, what did they do? What did they – what do they do? Or do they just earn a paycheck? I I mean I just find it ridiculous because you you you're, you're you you have people that if you're going to give them a position like that, then they got to be on a club team to do so, not on a national team level.
1: Yeah, I don't know what they do, Daniel. I I, I actually don't know what the general manager would do because you're not acquiring players. Uh, that would be that's the technical director's job anyway at a. At a, at a uh, uh, at, a, at a football club in Europe or, or, or an MLS or USL. But uh, the I, I, general manager thing, unless you're doing some sort of operational in, in administrative stuff, but that general manager, that GM, would then be administering, would they be administering the coaching staff? That doesn't make sense because that would be Greg Berhalter's job. And, and that would be Plato's job on, on the uh, women's side. So what are they doing? That's a great question. I don't know. I don't have an answer.
0: I, I know, and that's the strangest thing because I'm thinking to myself here. You know, I, 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 I mean, you can't hire or fire the manager. I mean, that's a, that's that's basically the president's position. The president has to hire or fire a manager. Um, you can't make trades because it's a national team. Who are you going to trade? You're going to trade somebody uh, to who's a dual citizen and say, okay, uh, hypothetically speaking. Uh, you're a dual citizen of the U.S. and Sweden? Okay, so we will trade you to the Swedish national team for a Swedish player on the national team who is also a dual citizen <laughs> right, for Sweden right, and the U.S.,
1: right. and we'll bring them over. Yeah. I mean, I guess uh, maybe they, over, they, 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 they look at the youth uh, setup also, but again, that would be the technical director's job, typically. Exactly. So so exactly. Is Brian McBride So is he spending a lot of time on the U20 and U17s?
0: Well, if that's the case then. then don't tell don't, don't say he's the general manager. Just like you said, he's the technical director. Just 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 let him just have two technical directors. That's all. Just say we have Brian McBride being the technical director for the men's side and the boys side of the national team. And you have Kate Margrass as a technical director for the women's side and the girls side for those national teams and you know, I think it's all hunky dory and then it would be more understanding. But if you say general manager, you know, you're gonna have somebody who normally watches the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, Major League Baseball and assume or even MLS, to say, hey listen, this is uh, why we got a general manager. No, that, that that that's not how it works. And why does it always feel like Cardick that somehow, some way US Soccer Federation board is always going everything half ass backwards.
1: Uh, your, your guess is as good as mine. I mean, I think – I know I've heard the excuses in the past that uh, because Sunil Gulati and, uh, and Dan Flynn were arbitrary in their decision-making, you know, uh, uh, Sunil would call Don Garber, they'd have a conversation, and then he'd talk to Flynn, and then Sunil would be like, okay, this is what we're doing. And now you have people who uh, um, don't operate that way. And were are always kept out of the decision-making process that it's become a little bit of a, I, I you know, I, I don't want to use the, the, the uh, pejorative word I was going to use, but it, it's become a bit of a mess. I, I don't buy that. Right. Okay. So there's clearly a leadership vacuum when both Dan Flynn and Sunil Gulati leave in quick succession of one another. Right. That I can see, mm-hmm. but now what you have instead of people fit, fall, uh, sliding into the Galati role, that would be Cindy Parlow Cone, or f- sliding into the Flynn role, they just hired someone new for that. It was Will Wilson. Now they hired uh, forget the the fellow's name, but but we're not seeing any leadership from these think. folks. We're not Batson, seeing what what's his name? Batson. Batson. Yeah, right. Batson. We're not seeing any leadership from these people. We're not seeing any kind of strong decision-making from these people. Look, I, I can tell you Sunil Gulati's leadership style from my own personal perspective working in lower divisions was, you know, we would have a dispute with USL when I was working in NASL. He'd get us all in a room and kind of make us hammer it out. Um, I don't see that stuff going on anymore. It's like the the, 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 the there's this sort of uh, – level of anarchy and, 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 and lack of accountability, not, not that, that those were good old days, because obviously there were reasons why uh, Sunil Gulati was forced, was eventually forced out. Uh, there was a, a level of discontent. He had also been around for a long time, but um, I, I just see an absolute void in leadership and I don't know what is going on in, in the Federation, what they're doing on a daily basis, what uh, they're doing, to facilitate the growth of the game in this country, how they're managing their national team programs. Um, it, it seems to be kind of chaotic. Now I am glad that at least this, uh, this launch of the, uh, of the national team on HBO and on, uh, and on TNT seems to have gone fairly smoothly with Luke Weilman and, and Kyle Martino and, and Julie Foudy and crew with Shannon box, uh, uh, Demarcus Beasley, etc., cetera um, doing the job they're doing but I'm, I, I, which is good. I mean, I'm glad that the, the Federation has a standalone package. This is one of the things I was concerned about with the relationship with Dr. United Marketing, with Sunil Gulati and Stand Up. But outside of doing that television deal and working with Turner and, and HBO, I, I'm not quite sure what they're doing because we're not seeing any promotion of the U.S. Open Cup. Yeah, I, I, I got really angry the other day. Uh, um, uh, Daniel, you know, obviously, with all the excitement about Wrexham going on in the United States and Ryan Reynolds and crew, Rob McElhaney, um, th- there's been a lot of focus on the FA Cup because of the cup run that Wrexham has made. Um, and finally, the U.S. Soccer Federation uh, tweeted something from, from the U.S. Open Cup account. Well, if you think this is good, we have a tournament just like this. Well, how come you haven't done that in the past? And they probably won't follow that exactly. up with anything. Right? I mean, sure. You know why Wrexham is... Part of the reason why Wrexham is so compelling for American fans is because we have stories like that in the U.S. that you've told on this show time and again. No one's done more for the U.S. Open Cup other than maybe Josh Hakala than you, Daniel. And the Federation has refused to tell those stories. So I don't know what they're doing, really, honestly. I'll tell you what
0: they're doing. They're allowing those writers along with Josh Hakala and myself on this show to talk the stories that people want to hear. The problem is U S soccer does not want to promote the open cup. That is the problem. Oh, sure. They'll put out, I, I, I mean, we're still waiting for the press release of who qualified from USL league two and, and, and NPSL to, you know, to start the opening round when the draw will be for the opening round. Um but you know they they're doing as minimal work because they're allowing us to do it. That's the issue. That's the problem. Sure. Yeah. They'll, you know, I I mean they'll 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 retweet our tweets. They'll retweet my tweets about my shows, about the Open Cup. But what are they doing? What 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 is going on on their end?
1: Yeah. No, I completely agree. And, 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 and they, they've been propped up by you. They've been propped up by you doing whip-around shows, and you talking about Down Boys and, 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 and uh, 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 the Panciprian Freedom and all of the great stories, you know, here, down here in Florida, in my, my neck of the woods, the Florida soccer soldiers, uh, these stories that, that you have put out there. So I was kind of appalled when they, said, when they tweeted, like, okay, yeah, this is great, this FA Cup. Uh, we have something like it here, or you've always had something like it here, and you've never promoted it. That's why American fans are gravitating to Rexum because, I mean, it's also because, let's face it, Ryan Reynolds, pretty big star, right? Pop pop culture celebrity, uh, Hollywood yep. guy. Same thing with yep, Rob McElhaney, but they're 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 promoting yep. it in a way that U.S. soccer is unwilling to promote their, the the the, the of the United States, of which there are many. <laughs>
0: Exactly, and you know what they just put out now, U.S. Open Cup, uh, for their Twitter page? It, and, and it really bothers me because it's not on their official Open Cup page on, on U.S. Soccer's website, because what they did now is wrote a story about Maccabee, Los Angeles, the five-time Open Cup champions, how it was started by Holocaust survivors. Yep and then it was all Jewish American or those Holocaust survivors who moved to the U S lived in Los Angeles and are just doing wonders for Los Angeles. And at the same time, why they were so popular and one of the players could have played for the cosmos, but he but at the time he was already married and you know, if he was going to move to the cosmos with his wife, then, you know, you have to pay up, give me some more money. No, it's not going to happen. um, and I mean, you know, it was written by. So let me get the guy's name uh, to make sure. Uh, by Jonah Fontella, who actually writes for Chocola and the Cup He's not writing for us. So- he's only writing this because U.S. Soccer is letting him write it on their site. He's a part of the Cup.U.S. He's not. He's not a part of U.S.
1: Soccer. So U.S. soccer is not using any of their own writer's resources to promote the Open Cup, right? So if you're the general manager of the or the technical director or the general manager of the U.S. Program, men's program, and then you are the, 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 um, the president of the U.S. Soccer Federation, Cindy parlo Cone, why are you not doing anything to promote this U.S. Open Cup? I will tell you how appalled I am by the Open Cup situation why I'm more angry about it now. You've been angry about it for a number of years. I've been a little more chill about it. But now I'm more angry about it like you are, Daniel, like you've been, and, and Josh and others have been. Because I've asked the U.S. soccer directly about this TV deal with Turner and, what, and if it includes U.S. Open Cup or not, which is one of their properties, right? That's the thing they should be promoting. When the English FA hoists things on you, like I'm, I've been told by, uh, by uh, ESPN when – uh, they wanted to get the rights to the championship. Uh, the, the football league told them, you have to show the, 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 the cup also. You, know, you can't just show championship games. You have to show the ESL Cup, which is why that's on ESPN also. Um, U.S. soccer can't even tell me if the open, where the Open Cup is going to be televised because, well, maybe it's part of the, the Turner deal. Maybe it's not. You know, it's just not a priority is the point. They don't. They don't they, they, it's an afterthought. They didn't even think about it. When they're negotiating a TV deal, this is a great asset they have. This would give more games than the, the women's and men's national team and the youth national teams combined, more, more programming, more content. They're even thinking about it. It's an afterthought.
0: Exactly, and that's the problem. The problem is you've got a team like Inter-San Francisco who qualified through the qualification rounds, and they're getting pressed about qualifying for the Open Cup on their local NBC Bay Area affiliate on television. They post it on their Twitter page. I allow them to talk about their club on my show this past Thursday. But what is U.S. soccer doing? I mean, you want to improve the Open Cup, but you don't want
1: to promote it? I mean, what is the problem? Why are they so afraid? We don't even know where Inter San Francisco gets coverage on their local news station for this, this, this miraculous thing they've done. They don't even know where their games. Well, first of all, you're right. We don't know when they'll be, but even if we knew when they'll be, where they'll be broadcast at this point. And and because U S soccer has negotiated the TV deal and they're not sure they've included the open cup in it or not. So we don't know where the open cup is going to be televised. Similarly, like I said, or, 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 or the opposite of this is what has happened in England, where or not where only in the U.S. with English rights, where ESPN very freely told me they uh, they wanted to take the uh, they wanted to take the championship rights, and they were told by the EFL, the football league, you have to uh, you have to take these rights also, you, you you have to you have to take the the cup. You have to televise the cup. Now they've sold it all on ESPN. Yep. Plus, but you have to televise the cup. You can't just take the championship and not televise the, 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 the league cup. It's the same property. Yep. U.S. soccer doesn't yep. see it that way.
0: I know, and, and that's the shame of it. I mean, whatever is going on over there at U.S. soccer, it, it's just a shame how all they care about is the popularity <sighs> of the men's team, or the women's team, but it's not just that. It's everything because if we're seeing FA Cup matches, EFL Cup matches, Championship League matches, you know, everything that goes on over there in England that ESPN wants, well, shouldn't TNT and, you know, Turner, you know, they should show the same thing as well. If you're getting the national teams on Turner and on their HBO Max app, well, we should get the E Open Cup as well. But uh, it's the same argument over and over and over, Cardic, It doesn't really matter what's going on because they don't want to be criticized for all the negatives that they've done. They don't want to be criticized for whatever negatives that's coming their way. It's better to just chop off, uh, uh, you know, someone who's overly negative about something against them than to actually fix their own damn problems.
1: Yeah. I agree. Yeah, and and, and, mm. and they're much more, and, they're, and, and I think the other thing, Daniel, I'll say in closing on this whole thing, is that they're very, um, they're very defensive. They're always very insular, and they don't really want to open up and expose themselves to the criticism. We'll see. Maybe with this new executive director, that'll change.
0: We'll see what happens, and hopefully it will. So before I let you go, Kardec, um what were your what were your thoughts on the whole Burhalter Reina situation involving oh. Greg and <laughs> Gio and uh and Claudio and Daniela Reina who uh you know I I had on Gary Redmond on a couple of weeks ago about this and uh you know uh, you see on the news how parents how they act during little league baseball games or mites hockey or little league basketball, punt, pass, kick, American football. How they think their children are the star, and you know how dare you call a strike there? How dare you say this? How dare you make that call? And then they come, then they come running on the field, and they start fights and all this stuff. And now you're seeing it on the professional level. I mean, what's your thoughts on the on, on that on that situation?
1: I think it's 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 bad behavior on all, all sides. I think that basically Berhalter, um I don't have a problem with him telling Tio Reyna at the outset that your uh, your 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 uh, uh, role is going to be limited. I know a lot of American soccer fans who who maybe don't don't follow the game domestically, right? They don't follow MLS or USL. They, they haven't been around clubs. Uh, they haven't they don't watch the game in Europe. Uh, they just focus on the national team, think that there's something outrageous about that. No, that's kind of what you do at the beginning of the tournament or beginning of the season because you want buy-in from guys, right? And then so you want a guy to understand their role and to support their teammates. And clearly, Diarena did not do that at first, right? So, mm-hmm. that's what you want to start with, okay? But then after that, I I, I think that Verhalter maybe should have sent him home, and he didn't. He, you know, it, was, it was not handled properly internally after that. Uh, although, still, the U.S. had a pretty successful World Cup, I think. Then, I think the problem comes in, Daniel. And what's the problem that comes in? The problem that comes in is that you're in a situation where Verhalter uh, thinks he's at an off-the-record session. Okay, but I have to be honest with you. Sorry, coach. Um, I have actually helped run conferences uh, like, like that where things are supposedly off the record. I mean, I remember I, I was doing one of these conferences that I helped uh, organize and, and uh, uh, brought in you know, high-level moderators. Kay Murray uh, was one of, or, you know, who's now on ESPN, She's wonderful. She was one of my moderators. Kevin Egan, who's now going to Apple. Uh, For MLS, he was another Mm -hmm. one of my moderators. And we told all the participants, this is off the record, this is private. But we kind of... uh, uh, Between the lines are like, look, there are a lot of people here. These are all high-level people. People talk. Be careful. So Verhalter knows it's probably going to get out. He's got to know that. So at that point, he mishandled it. That was the screw up on his part. And I'm disappointed in how he handled it at that point. But, again... I will say uh, I think that the the the, the, the behavior of the Reina family of the two of them was outrageous. After that, I agree. And then, and unfortunately, well, uh, yeah. oh, go ahead. And then the last thing I was going to say is, why did Stewart <laughs> then indulge them, and it just got out of control? Yeah,
0: no, I agree, and and I think the problem is, is that you know. Greg started it with that, with what you said at that conference he had. He knew it was being recorded. And the problem with Greg, in my opinion, is that he just can't help himself trying to get the last word in. You know, even the players said, you know, after this whole situation happened, how disappointed that it got leaked out because they all thought it was going to stay in-house. And that's the issue that Greg put himself into. You didn't have to right. just, you know, give the final elbow, you know, nudge into into the into Geo's side. You didn't have to do that. You thought you you fixed it. It should have stayed in the locker room in Qatar. It did not. That's Greg's fault. And then in turn, his uh, his wife's teammate and, and college roommate at UNC tells Ernie Stewart. Well, this is what Greg did, and and even Claudio, he says he didn't do it. I, I think he, I think he also initiated part of it. Said the whole thing, and even though Claudio uh, stepped down as sporting director at Austin FC, honestly, I thought that precourt should have fired him from that position. And nothing against Austin FC fans, but you know, if you're gonna play ball, and you're gonna play all this crap. You're going to be a part of all this crap and saying, "Well, how dare you do this, my son? How you like if I tell the if I tell the world about your deep dark secret and you did it? You know what? Greg should not be returning as head coach for the U.S. Men's National Team, and Paul Arena should lose his job at Austin FC. I don't care if he's stepping down as a consultant;
1: he should not have a job with Austin. Period. I agree with that, but I also think that, and I'm not one to defend Anthony Precourt. I mean, make it clear. But um mm-hmm. I, I, I I think he probably was forced out and I think the consultants thing is a way to avoid a lawsuit or something messier. Uh I, mm-hmm. I don't think uh, as much as as little as I think of Anthony Precourt, I don't think Precourt was uh planning on keeping quality of around this season. And uh so uh, he had to be let like go of, it and it just didn't, ha- it didn't happen the next day, but he, there's a process, and it, they've gone through that process.
0: No, I agree with you. I'm not saying you have to fire him on the spot. I mean, you have to go through this process to analyze and take a look and get opinions and suggestions, but all I'm saying is, is that, he, in my opinion, he should have been gone completely, but that's just how I feel about the situation. That's all. I, I just don't think Greg should be back. I don't care what Cindy Parlacone says. I, I don't think I mean it's nice what she did to get the equal pay thing going for both the men's and women's team, but outside of that, what has she really done? You know what I mean? Yeah. What has she really, really done? Yeah. So I, I, I just I, I just find it this whole situation is ridiculous. U.S. Soccer will continue to be ridiculous until you get brand new blood on the board to really make the moves proper, to put us in better position, not just for the game as a whole, not just to make the pyramid healthy, but to give respect to the Open Cup within its own house and all the shenanigans that has happened here. Because you're right, even though Gulati's done some terrible things, the truth is he's been more of an adult than what we've seen so far in these last four or five years.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh,
0: that's really the shame of it. Yeah, and that's the real shame of it, but we'll see what happens there. But, Kartik, uh as always, uh, thank you very much for joining me tonight. Uh, Continue success with Beyond the 90. And if you need my assistance, I don't mind giving you a helping hand as well. And uh, no, have absolutely. a good night, yeah. and I'll talk you to you again to soon. You
1: right. Yeah, thank you, Daniel. We would love to have you write for Beyond the 90. So, let's uh, let's talk about that soon. All right. Thank you very much, Carter. I'll Thanks. talk to you soon. To no you soon. problem.
0: That's Carter Krishnar from World Thank you. Have a good night. That's Carter Krishnar from World Soccer Talk as well as Beyond the 90. Head over to beyondthe90.substack.com for your subscription to Beyond the 90. Can't wait for that one. And before I say good night, let me just say good uh, good luck to the Seattle Sounders. Because this coming Saturday, they will be performing in the FIFA Club World Cup. The first MLS side to be participating in the FIFA Club World Cup as they will await uh, the winner of the first round, either Auckland FC or Al-Ali in the FIFA Club World Cup. And that will be on Saturday, February the 4th. That will be at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, 9.30 a.m. in the Pacific, and that will be seen live on Fox Sports 2. Check your local listings for the time and the channel number uh, within your region, or as probably it will also be on the Fox Sports app for you to watch it live. Um, uh, This should be an exciting time. I know it will be an exciting time for everyone in Seattle. Uh, For those that support U.S. soccer, we'll see what happens Uh, representing, of course, supporting the league and U.S. US Soccer Federation and the Confederation of CONCACAF. This should be exciting and a lot of fun. I want to thank my guest tonight, Carter Krishnoyer, once again from World Soccer Talk and Beyond the 90. My name is Daniel Foyerstein. I will talk to you guys next week. Take care. So long. And as always, please enjoy your football. Talk to you next time. Take care. So long and bye bye for now.